This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Guys, and welcome to the Stardom Cast, your monthly audio source for all things World Wonder Ring Stardom, right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Rob Goodin. I'm joined, as always, by Chris O'Brien, who does not want me to refer to him as the Joshi Mark anymore. We are in current contract negotiations as to what his new nickname will be. I'm sure we'll have updates for you in the coming months. Um, but we really would appreciate your support. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, leave a rating and a review. It really does help out the podcast. Um, check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter. It's at the Stardom Cast. Um, join the new Facebook group, the Podmania Podcast Facebook group, just to talk, talk all things wrestling, to join in the conversation, to join in the chat. It's a really good place. So we started it yesterday, so please come and check that out. But, Chris, how are you? My eyes hurt. Is is that because of my intro, or...? How did that hurt my eyes, Rob? No, for the most part, I'm not, I've just been typing all day, and I'm so done. Like, politicians do not know how to harness music, and it's starting to get a bit depressing. Yeah, I believe you mentioned the word Nazi rock before we actually Nazi. went live. Yeah, right. So essentially, my, I'm currently, instead of doing like a dissertation, which you would just expect from fourth year, they split it into two. So you have like a research project and a um, physical project. So like from a physical project, I put out two singles. I was going to put out an EP and run a gig, but then Corona fucked that up. Um, so, and for my research one, I decided to ex- <laughs> the literal the research question is what is the relationship between music and politics, and the answer is really complicated. <laughs> okay, and what um, is Nazi rock? I, that's the oh, thing okay, I want so, to get to here. Right. So essentially, um, um, as you know, um, a lot of um, group, um, grassroots. Um, Punk rock stemmed from political disenfranchisement in the seventies, and the music sort of reflected that. So, like, it, it became a fairly naturally left-wing genre. But then, um, because um, disenfranchisement is what the far right prey on, um, they started trying to circumvent the genre for their own means, and it kind of worked. Hitler was in the chat, um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a mess. And quite frankly, I didn't cover it in, cover it in as much detail in my essay as I really should have, but. In, as you find out as you're writing, 4,500 words isn't a lot of words. No, I re- we we all remember university. We all remember college, Chris. Even if it was yeah. a long time ago for me and Garth, yeah. we we remember. 
I don't know if you had this, but every time I start a paper, I'm thinking in my head, oh my God, I'll never reach this word count. And then I'm getting, and now I'm just getting to the end of the paper. I'm only 500 words below my word count right now. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not, how am I fitting all this in? <laughs> all the time, mate. All the time. I think it's how everyone starts every essay. No matter what they say, they can say 2,000 words. And in your head, you know it's not a long, a, you know, a massive amount of words. But even so, you're still like, I'm never going to reach that. That's fucking miles away. You look and you feel like you've been typing for ages and you're only 300 words in. And then randomly, yeah. you were halfway through your essay, like, 2,400? How has this happened? And you're just <laughs> going through, deleting all the ands and putting commas. Yeah. Um, I very quickly want to bring up on this podcast, actually. I'm pretty sure Garth secretly resents us for it. Explain. Okay, two reasons. One, we now host two podcasts without it. Yes, it Besides is. Besides fact, we do, we do constantly invite him on the Young Life. We do, we do. And what's the second reason? Um, because, uh, because like when I first did get, started getting really into stardom, Garth could sort of brush it off and like, ah, he's a young Mark. That's what all the young Marks are doing nowadays. And then you got into it, and so I'm like, what? You too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. He is very much the odd one out. Now he's the strange one. Never mind. <laughs> Um, so today, obviously, with you know the continuing uh, ban on sporting activities and entertainment coming out of Japan, um, we've decided to do something slightly different in the absence of those live shows. So what we are going to do today is we are going to review one of, if not the biggest feud in stardom history, the, tri the trilogy of matches between Mayu Iwatani and Ayo Shirai. And we've got... Loads of background provided for us by some lovely listeners who we'll call out later. Um, and it's really, really interesting, the dynamic between the two on quite a simple storyline. It's It produced three matches that I think are classed as three of the best matches in stardom history. I think one of them is quite possibly the greatest match in stardom history. But before we get into that, I just want to run through a couple of other things that are coming up on the Pod Mania Podcasting Network this week. So obviously today, which is Sunday the 26th as we record, we've obviously got the Stardomcast episode 4, which will be up at 11pm British time. We've also got Wrestling with Jonas's Royce Isaacs interview from the NWA. Um, on Thursday, he interviews Agony from CCW, so that should be excellent. On Friday, myself and Chris will be joined by Garth on the Podmania podcast, where we'll be looking at the week in pro wrestling, talking about some of the news and the things, basically having a completely informal chat about all things to do with wrestling, before on Saturday, John does his uh, normal flagship wrestling with John's podcast with George Mackay. I don't think I've missed any anything um just to say that on monday we will be dropping our super brawl 8 review which i have written up today which is about as a card of two halves as you can possibly get um hogan in the main event is just it's it's a troll to get through um, but apart from that chris um let's get straight into it shall we my friend i mean i guess we should yeah <laughs> so, obviously, I've already said that we're looking at the Mayweather-Tani and Io Shirai feud. Now, thank you to Niagara Driver 93 on Twitter, who provided us with such fantastic background to this feud that really did help us understand the feud, because neither of us were watching 
at this point. We're talking 2016 to 2017. Neither of us were fans at that point. Say again. Where were you in 2016, Rob? Where was I? Yeah. Both in Smarkdom and just general life. Oh, okay. Um, in Smarkdom, I'd just got back onto the wrestling train. Um, I'd fallen out of love with wrestling because, you know, Alberto Del Rio. Um, <laughs> and then, um, I'd, so I can't remember exactly what brought me back into wrestling, but I, I think I was... It was Bray Wyatt several times. Yes, it was, it was actually. It was Bray Wyatt, um, which is depressing when you think about influences in your <laughs> wrestling world. Um, but yeah, that was where I was. I wasn't aware of Japan as a wrestling nation, to be perfectly honest, not until Wrestle Kingdom 11 was I aware of that. So what about you? Um, I was all in on, um, anything that wasn't WWE at that point. Um, Ring of Honor was a big thing. I think, um, this is right around the time I was getting into like ICW, um, Progress came a year later. Um, I sat, I finally started going to shows um, because I was finally a, I was um, 20, 2017 I was finally um, in a place where I had the money to go to shows because before when I did actually have the money um, I wasn't old enough to go to shows um, yeah Japan was getting becoming increasingly big I followed the G1 I didn't watch all of the G1 because fuck was it hard for me to find a stream um, but I followed along my my pick was Kenny Omega and Kenny Omega won. Although the favorite was Tetsuya Naito, but I'm always, I prefer picking outside picks because I, I, I'm obtuse like that. Um, but but yeah, like I at this point the most like women's wrestling I had watched was oh Christ, it was probably NXT. That's depressing in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, it was for me similarly. Um, I've never been. I've never watched aside from starting a promotion that is all women, all Joshi. And um, this is a refreshing change of pace. And it was interesting to go back and sort of look at its history because I've never I've never done that. Um, and again, I just want to thank Niagara Driver 93 because two of the shows that were actually needed to look at that included the last, the later two matches aren't actually on Stardom World yet. No, so, I link yeah, one was on Daily Motion, and we've provided the links in the description of the podcast if you want to watch them as well. Um, if they are on Stardom World, we do ask you to go and watch them on Stardom World, especially in these times. You know, they could absolutely use the money, and eight pound twenty a month is absolutely fucking nothing. I was unbelievable. Yeah, just save the tenor from the fucking network. Um, I was unbelievably annoyed um, when I was having to get links from it because I ended up watching this with my friend last night. I'll get more into that in a second. But um, getting him the links and it's sort of like, ah, just give me a means to pay for these matches. I'll pay for them. <laughs> um, but from what I've been told, to understand the majority of this feud and certainly the start of this feud, we've got to go back past 2016 and the start of this. Even before that, you've got to understand Mayu's story in general. Um, for those who don't know, a little bit of background about Mayu Iwatani, she was shut in at home. Um, she didn't come out of her room for, you know, nigh on three years. And eventually, her older brother, or one of her older brothers, managed to get her to go to a Dragon Gate show. It was there that she decided impulsively to become a pro wrestler. Um, she fell in love with Ultimo Dragon, handsome moveset, is very much based on Ultimo Dragon. She 
packed up all the things and left to go to try out for stardom without telling her parents. Um, and that impulsive nature of Mayu certainly plays a part in this. She was crap to start off with. Um, apparently, um, they thought she was going to be the first one to quit in that class. Um, it's obviously, as she was training, she was the last one of that class to win a singles match. And basically, even though she had potential, she wasn't really seen as much. Now, during this time, Io Shirai, who, you know, is, or is at this time, the biggest thing in stardom. She took her under a ring, under her wing, and they became an extremely successful, successful tag team, uh, Thunder Rock. And they would, with along with Kari Sane, who was at the time Kari Hojo, they would create the stable freedom and would become one of the most successful three people in stardom. And that comes into the end of the uh, Stardom Gold May 2016 show. Um, Very quickly, freedom. Is, is that worse than three count? I think I think it's worse than three count. I think it's better than Fortune from yeah, so, Impact. Yeah, but to be fair, Fortune was somehow a worse version of both the Four Horsemen and Three Count. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, prior to their match in May for the World of Stardom Championship, which Io Shirai held at the time, uh, Mayu actually won the Cinderella tournament in 2016, which, for those who don't know, it's a single elimination tournament where you are granted a wish if you win. And we've said before on this podcast that, you know, the wish usually transitions into a title opportunity. Not been, I really don't think it's ever not been a title opportunity, and I quite frankly think they're missing the boat <laughs> on that one. Um, so, yeah, that's where this comes from. Mayu challenges Io for the championship. Um, Io, at this point, is for all intents and purposes, the ace of stardom. And even though she'd taken Mayu under her wing, she's seen very much as a sidekick, as, you know, a little sister. You know, the cute little underling who's who's not got what it takes to challenge the top person. And that, especially in this first match that we're going to talk about in a second, that is very obvious for me now chris is there anything you want to add in regard to the build to this first match it's worth saying we did have one match before this in the the five star which is their g1 2015 yes they did yeah they wrestled to a draw which sort of set up the beginning of this match i do want to comment on ishirai's um the difference between ishirai and mayu in terms of confidence going into this match so he was like, I don't, I'm, I'm probably going to beat her. Um, it's going to be a great match, but let's be honest, I'm going to beat her. Whereas Mayo, she's very visibly like big anxiety boy. Yeah, and again, like, that's sort of. Same, she had the same look in her face when when um, Hannah put the um, banana in her hand. <laughs> yes, yeah, she did. It was weird looking at that in one way because obviously we're now used to confident Mayu, you know, icon Mayu. To see, to go back to that and again, you know, understanding that she was a shut-in and suffering from that anxiety, to then see this sort of Mayu, this nervous and tense and, you know, the enormity of the situation, I think, was starting to hit her at the start of this, that she was going against her tag team partner. And, you know, I think, I, I think it was Ayu who said, you know, she's like my little sister. And you're absolutely right. I think she saw it 
as more of a nuisance than a legitimate title uh, title challenge. Yeah, she's like she's treating this more as a formality, which would come to bite her and be isolated in the match. To be fair, but like, yeah, she was like, yeah, I could probably beat May. I, I, it's May. Look at her. <laughs> so. Let's delve straight into this first match then. So the first match took place at Stardom Gold May in 2016. Um, we delve straight into the match. We had the pre-match promos, um, which, again, Io had already sort of, you know, smiled at Mayu's opportunity and sort of gone, oh, she's such a lovable rogue. But as Chris said, I'm probably going to beat her. Um, and we'd seen Mayu incredibly nervous in her approach to the match um they both go to the ring and chris you mentioned that they fought to a time limit draw in the five star yeah which which may- is hard in the five star only a 15 minute time limit well may you want to no time limit on this match she yeah. says yeah we know each other First that minute. well yeah but also um did the match even go 30 no didn't a bit pointless. <laughs> it it was a little bit. I think this was the shortest match of the three, which makes sense. This first one, the first one went. Um, just let me find out for you. It it went twenty one minutes and fifty four seconds. Yeah. So like, if you're gonna do that, you need to at least go like three seconds over first. Yeah, but I think that was. I think that's an important story beat here. Um, yeah. Overall, I'll throw it to you first, Chris. What did you think of this match as a spectacle? Well, yeah, they kind of just didn't stop throughout the whole match. <laughs> like, every... T- well, I did, like, the technical exchange. Um, it's very obvious how uncompetent Mayo was in terms of her wrestling ability because she's the first one to give up and trying to, like, out-wrestle. Um, Shirai, and then just they start kicking the shit out of each other. And then, like, you, you see Shirai turn. It's sort of like Coke being Debushi. Um, <laughs> where, like, Shirai just sort of grabs Mayu's head. She's like, right, fucking enough now. Yeah. Like, um, it was like, like, honestly, there's points where my friend was like, oh, are those two shooting? I should explain. The friend who I was watching this with, is, oh, he's seen two types of wrestling in his life. Some of the G1, which I made him watch, and, some, and this. Which, by the way, May is now her favourite wrestler, because before his favourite wrestler was Sonata. I can, I, can see the, uh, I can see the correlation between the two, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> they both wear blue. Um, but no, this match... It almost has the least amount to say, because like, it's, it's a match of two halves, because like, it was... Spectacle, dropping each other on the head, and then Eve started going for um, the leg, which sort of cut off um, May's game um, and helped Shirai win. But, like, everything was excessively clean. Some of the um, get-outs were fairly um, clever. For example, jumping over um, Shirai, that was really cool. Um, but, yeah, like, for the most part, it's like your standard... Um, Saddam main event in terms of like spectacle. I liked the way that they started so quickly. Mayu, yeah, that nervous energy that Mayu had clearly sort of she went at Ayu. And now Ayu is an experienced competitor at this point. She's four, I think this was a fourth title defense at the time. So she's 
a very experienced in-ring practitioner. And all she did was she waited for Mayu, Mayu to tire herself out and then began to slowly but surely chip away. And at times, for me, it got a little bit embarrassing. It was like, is this really a title challenge? Mayu, come on. I know you're better than this. And Ayo was saying the same thing. Um, there was one point where um, Ayo sends Mayu into the corner and Mayu was that fucked that she can't get to the corner she collapses into the corner and i sort of squats by her and sort of looks at her as though to go really this is all you've got and it was you know it was sort of shown in the ending when all it took was one moonsault to finish it off and that is something we are going to come back to um over the next three matches um but yeah it it didn't pause for a second it was hard-hitting the kicks from Ayo were like, not only were they stiff, not only were they hard, it was like a parent disciplining their child. <laughs> like, teaching them a lesson. <laughs> we really did grow up in very different times, didn't we, Rob? <laughs> um, we still we had... Kind in Say again. Were you kind in school? How, how fucking old do you think I am? 106. <laughs> um, we still had the terrible neck spots uh, on the on the behalf of both Mayu and Io in this match. Um, how Io was able to walk after this trilogy is beyond me. I think if this entire trilogy should have a name, it should be Neck Break the Musical. Um, <laughs> the amount of times that Io is on her, just crippled on her neck from these suplexes from Mayu was just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, I- Spoilers right now, every single match had a um either a ger- had a, a German on the floor and a dragon on the apron. Yeah, absolutely. But the most important thing for me here was Mayu did not get her finisher off here. No, didn't get a two step dragon. Which to be fair, people spunked over Omega and um Omega and Okada for doing that, despite the fact, like, basically every wrestling trilogy has this. It did. It was still a really, really good story. It was a great, it was a great opening to the trilogy. I think if this had been a standalone thing and they hadn't have built on it, I'm not saying it would have been disappointing. This was still an absolutely outstanding match. I gave it a nine. But because it was part of a trilogy, because they built on the story, because they threw back to the matches they referred back to all these spots so often it makes it so much better in my eyes yeah um the only like really the only complaint i have about this match is a oh my god girls stop killing each other and b i may went for a springboard poison runner but it was very clearly botched it was and I think, you know, there's no getting around the fact that, that that was a botch. And to be honest, I think, I can't remember if it was this match or the next match where um, Ayo botched, Ayo, bleh, Ayo, um botched going for the moonsault. I think it played well into the storyline of Mayu literally being that exhausted and effectively being taken to the cleaners, being schooled by Shirai that, you know, she couldn't even get moves that she usually would. She couldn't get it. She couldn't get them off, and I think that worked in the grand scheme of the storyline. Yeah, no, very true. Like you did, uh, Mayo did come off as sort of a first-time challenger here. 
Yeah. So it's very clear neither woman came in with a game plan. They were just sort of like, I'm just going to hurt them really bad. It was good because they mentioned in the promo, especially Io, that they knew so much about each other that, you know, it would have to be the first one to break, the first one to put a foot wrong. And that's mm. what it was. The As I mentioned, that quickness that started the match was... There were so many reversals. There were so many just counters and quick counters because they played on the fact that they both knew each other so well because they were both, you know, part of Thunder Rock and part of Freedom, which, between them, by the way, held every single belt in stardom at this point, uh, which I didn't realise until the end when... Uh, yeah, because the white belt thing, yeah, was it? Um, no, the... So... Mayu had was one half of the goddesses of stardom and she had the high speed. Um, yeah, and one of um, the um, artists. One of the artists. Io had the world Arti- and artist. And then and Kyrie had the yeah. other two. Yes. So, yeah, okay. it was a bit jarring, but never mind. Um, but yeah, they played on that, and then eventually it would be Mayu playing on that inexperience, playing on that nervous energy that made the first mistake. And even though she fought well, once she'd made that mistake, you were never really thinking she was winning this match. No, to be fair, I didn't think going in she was winning this match, but to be fair, I had I had to look up when the matches were in cage match. So, <laughs> so this first match ended... Io defeated Mayu in 21 minutes and 54 seconds with a single moonsault. And that is important. By, by the way, what a moonsault. The best. The best without like, a shadow of a doubt. Like, because she just sort of... She somehow gets both elevation without losing any of the snap. Like, for example, um, someone like... Um, Vader gets the snap and someone like Charlotte gets the elevation but they lose something. Yeah, I agree. She had both. It's perfect form. When she debuted in NXT, the thing that everyone was talking about was that moonsault to the outside. Not because we haven't seen it a billion times and that's just from Adam Page. It was because (laughs) (laughs) it was just the form of it was absolutely flawless. That's what I, how I first believe it or not. That's how I first heard about Stardom. It's like, where's this girl? And there's these two girls in Stardom. One of them has the best in moonsault ever, and the other one has the best elbow drop ever. And I was like, no, nah, it can't be. And then I watched the May Young Classic when Kyrie Sane came in, and I'm like, oh my god, which made me Google Isle shit right. It's moonsault, and I was like, oh my god. And then for some reason, never checked out any of the other matches. Well, that's. Pretty similar to me, actually. I heard of Kairi Hojo before when she when it was rumoured that she would sign for NXT, which obviously she eventually did. But it was the reason that Bailey had to stop doing the Macho Man elbow. No, no, it was the other way around. They were gonna, there was controversy about because um, they weren't going to let Kairi Sane use the elbow because Bailey was. Yeah, but then Bailey stopped so that Kairi could do the elbow. That's what I mean. Yeah, because ultimately, but. Is there a worse elbow drop than Bailey? CM Punk. But at the time... <laughs> it It's certainly no macho man, is it? It's certainly no macho man. You know how the very underrated elbow drop is Eric Young? Honestly, man, I know this is really depressing. The last time I saw Eric Young might well have been War Games 2017. Yeah, that's probably the last time I saw Eric Young. No, 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 that's a lie, because I saw Eric Young at a house show. 
He was on a house show. Yeah, it was Sanity versus the club. And then Jeff Hardy did a run-in for some reason, despite the fact he had a match with Nakamura um, in the match before. <laughs> Basically, they realised that Jeff Hardy gets the biggest pop of anyone on the roster, so we were like, hey, we might as well send him out twice. <laughs> um, so, post-match, Io sort of comforts Mayu. You know, again, like that parent who they know their child's done something wrong, but they're going to comfort them anyway. Sort of, you did well, <laughs> but not quite. I'm sorry, your child's done something wrong. <laughs> How dare you try and claim glory, <laughs> you little shit. Get it, back down there. That's you exactly what it felt like. You've done, You've tried, you've had a go. Now get back to where you belong. You haven't. You aren't good enough to challenge for this belt yet. I'll. Yeah, sure. I'll cuddle you. That's at least how it came across to me, anyway. I'm sorry. You get back, and immediately in my head is like, Mayu was a man who thought she was alone. <laughs> um, Post match, they were cornered by Oida Tai Kagetsu and Kyoko Kimura, who challenged for every belt. I think was challenged for. It wasn't completely clear, but um, every. They literally said, all, we want baby. all of it. Just give us all. And at the, ne- the next month at Corican, um, the Oida the Oido Tai team took the Goddesses of Stardom Belt from Thunder Rock, which I think plays into the next stage of this feud, which we'll get to in a moment. Chris, is there anything you want to talk about regarding this first match from uh, Stardom Goldmay? Um, no, like, again, I think the most clear thing to say here is that, like, it was very clearly, like, it was, despite the fact we did start destroying each other, it was kind of wrestled, like, two people just going for it. Like, nothing here was, like, deliberately mean. <laughs> like, nothing here was targeted. They were just trying to beat each other. And I think for me, that was especially Mayu, who hadn't, she hadn't really been in this situation before. Um, and I think she she just sort of went in thinking, I'm a good wrestler. Let's see what happens. And I, that's one big change for me between that first match and the second match that we're going to come to in a moment. Yeah. So in between these times, as I've already mentioned... Um, Awida Tai took the tag belts or the goddesses of stardom belts from Io and Mayu. Now, fast forward to later on in 2016 and Io Shirai has turned heel. She's turned heel and she's formed the stable Queen's Quest with the reasoning that Mayu and the rest of the stardom roster lacked a killer instinct so what she did was she formed this stable and basically brought in younger members of the roster to teach them this new clinical killer style of wrestling and those um younger roster members included hazuki and momo watanabe um bearing in mind that mayu viewed io not only as a big sister but as an idol this heel turn was something that completely derailed her and she showed just this venomous side when they met again at the year-end climax in December 2016. Um, Chris, is there anything you want to add regarding Io's heel turn, the formation of Queen's Quest, or the 
general betrayal of Mayu and the rest of stardom? Um, well, I wasn't watching, so I actually don't know all that much. But like, it, it makes sense. Like, once you've been ace for a while, while you can't stay face, take some notes, Okada. Um, like, yeah, and then like her change in style was definitely reflected in this match, which we'll go on to in a second. But just heel, heel, I is amazing because you both hate her, but also it's like, oh, fuck, you're actually the best in the world, but... <laughs> like, oh, well, stardom, Hugh, um, Io, because okay. NXT Hugh Io is basically just, I'm crazy, me, I'm a fucking Japanese person, though, in leather. I can do a moonsault. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, it's very one-dimensional in NXT, and once I once <laughs> I read... is one-dimensional nowadays. True. In NXT nowadays, it's everything is a like Johnny Gargano is basically a one-dimensional Sami Zayn. Tommaso Champ is basically a one-dimensional Kevin Owens. And like, fucking just stop already and do something else. You can't. Anyway, sorry, continue. No, it's absolutely fine. Um, and I was a little bit concerned regarding the heel turn of Ayo. You know, is she just going to be fucking mental? And she wasn't. She... But... Go it was on. like if Randy Orton could run. She was cerebral, almost. You know, she was... Well, very clear in what she was going to do, what she was going to take she out. Very cerebral, very, um, very deliberate, very Jay White esque without being slow. Oh yeah, it was still wrestled at a phenomenal pace. Absolutely, oh, like, faster than you could think. But then, like seriously, I was trying to take notes and I just gave up. But yeah, like imagine, basically, imagine if Jay White went as fast as Kota Ibushi, that sort of go gets you somewhere near how you was um how many times we're gonna say that fucking name that boy um was going in that this time and it's sort of crazy how she managed to pull it off and we'll get into that in a second so we headed into the year-end climax um show in 2016 uh, which was 22nd of december and mayor was challenging once again for the world of stardom championship and this match saw a completely different Mayu. And this was clear from the opening promos. Now, me and Chris spoke about how in the opening promo of the first match, Mayu was completely unrecognisable. She was nervous, she was quiet, and it was like, mm, okay, this is going to be interesting to see how this translates into a match. Here, she, ha she said about, what, seven words? But each one of them, she was... You could almost feel the anger and the venom in them. She didn't shout, she didn't scream. She said them very, very calmly in a way that made me think, oh my God, I do not want to be Ayo Shirai. And then she walked out. And it was a completely different Mayu. And the most important thing I got from this was, here, she has that plan she didn't have in the first match. Yeah, but can she actually use it? We don't know. We'll, ha we'll have to find out. Subscribe to Stardom World. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, but, but it's clear both people had a more deliberate plan going in and who would who ever can win as a person who can start executing their um, game plan first. So we start and it's a quick start similar to the last match. But again, Io, being the experienced competitor and being the heel, gains the upper hand really, really quickly. But, but not before... Was we had a slap... Because in the first match, we didn't say this. 
obviously with both women being face, handshake at the start. With both hands, a really cordial handshake. Here, Io, the bitch, still offers her hand <laughs> to Mayu. And Mayu, it sort of looks like she's going to go for it. And you're like, oh, Mayu, don't be a dick. Seriously, come on. You've, you've just done so. And then absolutely slaps the shit out of Io's face instead of the handshake. And it was like, yes, I actually cheered, which is amazing. Um, this Io sort of gained the upper hand again quite quickly, targeting Mayu's knee. Um, there was a spot where Io puts Mayu's knee in a chair and then drop kicked the chair on the outside. I've never seen that done like that before. No, but by the way, can I just say when um, E took control, just for slipping underneath take and taking the leg, that was amazing. She did it twice, it, and both times looked awesome. No, um, but the thing is, it came, when the first time it happened, it came out absolutely um, nowhere, and she just pulled her into the post. It's like, oh my God, that's such a perfect way to subvert what Mayo's going to do. <laughs> and then um, she starts attacking... Mayo's leg, which means Mayo can't be more athletic, which Mayo responded to by going, well, I'm just going to drop you on your head. This was, like, yeah. If I can't run, I'm going to drop you on your head so many times. Just unbelievable brutality. A completely different change in character from the Mayu we saw in the first match. And again, the background information we've received is amazing, but Mayu would sort of second-guess herself before where she was, you know, she had the talent, but or she'd have the ideas, but not necessarily be able to carry them off. And here, completely different. She was just... At, it was a brutal side of it. She, You know, there was dragon suplexes on the apron. There was a dragon suplex on the floor. There was regular dragon suplexes. She must have dumped Ayo Shirai on her head six times and i'm talking so high on the back of her head it was it was almost uncomfortable to watch but at the same time mayu plays the underdog so well that you can't help cheering for it and this you know take nothing away from shirai shirai played the cocky arrogant ace heel to an absolute t in this match yeah like she changed up her, like, the fact that she changed up her style but very, very clearly worked. And then she threw in all these little tiny things. For example, every time she'd go for a moonsault, she'd step over um, Mayu. Like, she'd step on Mayu to go for the moonsault. Yeah, absolutely. Fact, I think once in this match, she was on the other side up from the turnbuckle. So she walked around Mayu so she, just so she can step on it. It was amazing, but on the flip side of that, there was callbacks to the previous match. The move that set up the moonsault in the first match was a tombstone. Um, mm -hmm. Io goes for the tombstone here, and Mayu reverses it into a tombstone of her own, which she doesn't do. But she went for, you know, proving that she's thought about the previous match and she's got a game plan. I mean, admittedly, it didn't work. Um, she reversed it. Um, but even so. And this time... One moonsault wasn't enough to keep Mayu down. She had to hit two. And there was just little things like that. And then there was the time when um, I was going for a suicide dive, I think, and which hit Mayu in the first match. 
Mayu this time sits almost kneels down by the apron so that she can't do it. She blocked the 619, which she got hit with in the first match. There were so many callbacks to that first match. These two women put on an absolute, brutal, well-worked match that I had to give it 10. I couldn't not give it 10. Yeah, like some of the... Um, so like some of the... Um, switches in momentum was so cleverly done. For example, May went for a kick on um, Eve, stupidly using the leg that was already injured, and you can tell which one it was because it was the one that's now covered by her um, gear. And then Ayusa managed to catch that into a um, snapdragon. It was just beautiful. And then, yeah, like the fact that I uh, May kicked out at one made you go like, oh fuck, May was going to win this. And yeah, everything about this was great. Apart from there are points where I feel like May just stopped selling the leg. Yeah, she did. Which, you know me, I'm not a massive fan of, but... It's your favourite, so you're going to forgive her. No, I think she sold it enough. There's there's a moment in a match where, you know, if you're going to sell it ridiculously, then it sort of, it still loses its impact. I thought she sold it enough. And I think she still had, even though she was far more brutal and she had more of a game plan, and both of those things were evident in the transition between match one and match two, she still had that sort of naive excitement when she was on top. And that links into the spot you were talking about, going for that kick with the injured leg. She saw that Shirai was on the back foot and thought, I need to capitalize here and went for a kick, which is exactly what Shirai wanted. She caught the the bad leg hit a suplex, she's back on top. And that was just masterfully done throughout this match by Shirai. I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about those two dragon suplexes. Uh, <laughs> I don't want... It's, give me fucking Vietnam flashbacks. Like, Jesus Christ. Can you think of, like, more brutal suplexes? <sighs> Like I'll... I can think of maybe Kenny Omega's Snapdragon on the floor. Um, well, actually, that's, I, I say more brutal. We we have covered Masawa versus Kabashi, but still, I don't know. I don't know. I think the one on the apron, this one, more than the one in the next match, this one just she seemed to hit so high up. And it was so like, you know, they'd reversed so many suplexes and, you know, in the last match and leading up to this, you just assumed it was going to be another reversal. And then when it didn't happen and she landed and then just sort of slumped to the floor quite wonderfully, I think Shirai's selling was a little bit underrated, to be perfectly honest. Mayu sold well, Shirai sold fantastically. Yeah, um, but like- Mayo had a harder thing to sell. She had to keep a limb going in a very fast-paced match, and then, like, Shirai just had to be woozy. Which she did even more in the third match, which we'll get into in a moment. Yeah, to be fair, Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, there is another reason for that, which we'll <laughs> we'll get into in a moment. This, for me, this is the greatest stardom match I've ever seen. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was fast-paced, bell to bell. I was wrong. This was actually the shorter match of the two. Um, this was a shade over 17 minutes. Yeah, but that's the thing. Sadam have are really good at making sh- um, matches like um, they go under 20 minutes feel like hour-long epics. 
and the, draw because they're paced so well. Yeah, the greatest compliment I can give these first two matches was that both matches were single cam matches. So you didn't, you often didn't have the greatest view of things. Annoyingly and... so, because you could actually see other cameramen walking around the ring. It's like, well, why? What's the point? <laughs> to me, and it, it does sometimes put me off on uh, New Japan shows, especially things like Tag League um, or the middle of the best of the Super Juniors. It can get quite annoying. Here, it didn't bother me in the slightest because I was that invested. I know it's completely different as well. You're talking about a blood rivalry at the top of a card and at the midpoint of a tournament. I know it's completely different, but even so, I was that invested in this match that this didn't feel 17 minutes and I never once was bothered by the fact that it was single cam and no commentary. Yeah. Um, To be fair, I'm I'm just used to starting being no commentary. It's weird now when it has commentary, but... um... Yeah, this is one of the best side matches I've ever seen. I'm not sure it's my favourite, but only because like it's not following along. I I tend to love the match more if, is when I'm following along with the product already. So my two the two that I like more than this, or the two or three that I like more than this are because I watch them while following the product. Yeah, so, absolutely. So like this is the best legacy side match I've seen, which is very few. I should probably go back and watch more now that I have the time on my hands. Let's say that I'm still watching through G127 and have no time for uni work. But when I do have time on my hands, <laughs> I should go back and do that now that there's no new wrestling. But also, I want to watch Noah. Do you see? Do, I, I'm I'm a very indecisive man. But yeah, this was great. Like it, it speaks volumes. So this is one of very few um, stardom matches that Meltzer felt compelled to review. Yeah, and he, he he gave it four and a half stars, which you know, which was too fair. With Meltzer, it seems to be a very token star rating nowadays. <laughs> It does, but I think it was it was a fair rating. I'm not going to argue with it, you know, for the sake of half a no, damn star. Rating, but... Like, but like nowadays, like like I don't like shitting on Meltzer's rating, but he gave Osprey and Kenta four point five star. Yeah, I just think like, that this was great. Fans, if it's two people who's a fan of, he's probably going to give it four point five stars. Yeah. But no, this is great. I'd give it a nine just because I felt Mail's selling was a bit inconsistent, and at times it took me a tiny bit out of the match. But also, it's still spectacular. Yeah, I mean, it... that's me nitpicking. But also, like, but just because there was mo- a moment where I was at this match means in my head I can't give it a ten. It did seem a little bit weird that Ia was targeting the the knee of all the things to target for Mayu. You know, thinking of a finish. But I suppose with her being, you know, an athletic, quick paced competitor, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, but also, like, you have to realize with the finish, she has to bridge. True. True story. True story. Uh, and also, like, has, does like the springboard poison Rana to set it up? Yeah. The post-match promos then, um, Ayo again talks about how Mayu wouldn't lie down. Um, Mayu said, with a lot of fire, which I appreciated, a completely different promo to a pre-match one, she said she was coming for that belt. She thought that this would be a last opportunity, but it's not going to be. I'm going to keep trying. You had better not lose that belt to anyone else because I am going to take it from you. Um, which was great. And then sort of nullified entirely when Carrie Hojo got into the ring and sort of went, what's going on here then? Which I thought was quite, <laughs> quite, 
quite funny. It juxtaposed the uh, seriousness a little bit, but it did how, make me laugh. How often does that, to be fair, nowadays, how often does that happen after many matches where just everyone starts getting in the ring? Like, think of um, the anniversary show from earlier this year where you had um, <laughs> May finishing and then um, B coming out to attack her and then Saki um, coming out and her going, I don't have time for you. <laughs> and then um, um, Sairi getting up on the not Sairi, what's the name? So one of the two getting up on the on the screen, going, "I'm going to challenge you," and then she didn't. But then it led to be a whole be a, I, I I can't talk because it's bad on a podcast. Um, to be a horror match, which was great. But yeah, like how often does like does everyone get into the ring to, after a male match nowadays? It's almost a staple. Like, um. um for example, when Jungle Kiona was like, "I'm going to challenge you," and she's like, "What? No, I already have a challenger. Ask me, ask me after the, that match." So, basically, the running theme of these two matches is that Io didn't believe that Mayu had the credibility to challenge her for the title, and you know, even though Mayu pushed her to her absolute limits in that second match. I have still believed that she was a cut above Mayu and Mayu wasn't on her level. We move to June 2017, which is just a few weeks after Carrie Hojo left Stardom to be part of NXT. Um, Mayu had just defeated Kyrie for the uh, Wonder of Stardom Championship, the White Belt. So at the at that point it's going to be a double title match. And with it being a double title match, with obviously Ayo holding the the World of Stardom Championship, Mayu holding the Wonder of Stardom Championship, it was an unofficial match to crown the top star of the promotion moving forward. It was almost a changing of the guard match, if you know what I mean. Um, And that's... Point, um, it was basically all but confirmed that Shirai was going to WWE. It was, but it, it hadn't been officially confirmed at this point. There was there had been rumours for months and months that her and Kyrie were going to leave at the same time, and then Io didn't. Um, well, that's only Io didn't pass a medical test, and that's why she didn't, and that's why she waited a year. Really? Yeah, that's the rumour that I remember. Don't quote me on it, but like that's definitely what I remember from the time. Something else to note from this at this point is that Io had a legitimate neck injury moving into this match. So just bear that in mind as we talk about this match. Um, So the match we're going to talk about, the final sort of build, the final match in this feud took place um, on June the 21st, 2017. Again, as all these matches have been at Corican Hall, um, it's interesting to look at these attendances just very, very quickly, Chris, before we move on to the match. Um, the announced attendance for this match, bearing in mind this was a double championship match, was 750 people. We reviewed the ninth anniversary show, and I think the confirmed attendance was 1,500, which yeah, goes no, to show... They're, like, outdrawing, like, all Japan and Noah, so... Yeah, it goes to show the difference that stardom is feeling at the moment. Um, but yeah, anyway, the main event. Chris, um, what did you think? Go on. 
Um, first of all, Ayo's hair is now red, which means she's went full evil. Um, <laughs> my friend actually said as soon as um, Mayu came out, she was like, he was like, oh fuck, she's an anime protagonist. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's the point. Because to be yeah, but anyway, come out and God, this match was really good. <laughs> which is a running theme with VC, we both sort of had the same game plan, but like Mayu was more ready for it. <laughs> she was like, ah, she's probably going to go for my knee, so I should probably do less kicks. And dropping on her head worked a lot last time. I'm going to do more attacks. It was interesting, because I said to you before we came on air that especially these last two matches were very similar. And by that, I mean that there was a lot of similar callbacks to previous spots and things like that. So yeah. we had the dragon suplex on the apron again. We had the dragon suplex on the floor again. And even though you might think, well, they've already done that, it worked into that story. And there was different bits. So, for example, in this match, of the three, this was the only match where they fought into the crowd. Yeah. And then crazy things happened. Yeah, we had Mayu hitting Aya with those that amazing running head scissors, which was amazing. Um, we had just just all of the dragon suplexes. I cannot begin to describe how many times Aya was dropped on her head and on her neck to the point where there was one particular cell from... I think it was about three quarters of the way through the match. And the woman is exhausted. You can see for the first time, she's held this belt for 500 days. This is her 15th title defence, and it's Mayu's third of the third attempt out of those 15. And you can just see, and this is the first time, just that flicker of doubt in Shirai's sort of eyes. And then she gets hit with another dragon suplex, and she just collapses on the outside. And she's literally not moving. And you do think, is this selling or is she actually in pain? Because it just never stopped. Never at all in any way. It just, just, yeah, absolutely incredible stuff. I, again... So, like, when they went for the cross... Um, when Mayu did the cross body off the... Um, what would that be? Like, the hallway of Corican. Um I pointed out to my friend, this isn't even the dumbest thing she's done because she's been hanged off of that thing. Yeah. Yeah, she has. Several times. I think something good as well was that throughout these three matches, Mayu hit her finisher once. And it was her version of the dragon suplex, again, hearkening back to the person who got her into this business, effectively. She managed to hit it, it was protected, and it was that move of all moves that got her the World of Stardom Championship, allowed her to be the icon at the top of that card. And again, to this point, to this day, she's the only person to hold the top two belts in stardom simultaneously. Yeah, which makes sense. Um, yeah, it's weird because like this match is less to say because so much of it was very similar to the la- to the match before. Only like 
little, like tiny little subversions that made it feel different and like made it sort of put an explanation point the fact that these two do know each other. For example, whereas I mentioned that bit in the first match where um, at the start where Mayo sort of jumped over um, Shirai, instead of jumping over to Shirai when she did it, she just jumped on Shirai. Yeah, there were subtle nuances like that, like for example when Shirai slid back into the ring in both previous matches, Mayu had given her a little bit of time to get herself sorted. Here, she slid into the ring and Mayu stomped a mud hole in her as soon as she got into the ring. And Um, it was that renewed brutality. Just the fact that it was almost like she'd sat at home and gone through those previous two matches and gone, right, I'm going to study everything and make sure that I am ready for all possible possibilities. And I'm just going to make sure that this champion, who notoriously will not stay down... I'm going to make sure that she has got no fucking choice. I'm going to knock her the fuck out. Even if I have to drop her on her head 25 times, she is not going to get up. Not just that, she played smart. Like, for example, um, every time she'd find herself on the back foot in the other matches, she'd just try to deliver more bombs. Whereas here, she'd try and create a bit of distance so she can recover and then hit the bomb. Like, for example, when we were both on top, she could have delivered, like, Hurricane Rana or something, but instead she did an arm drag just so they can create distance so she can recover, so she can then go deliver bombs. Yeah. And I can understand why some people might criticise and say, well, if it's a similar match, then what's the point in watching it? I think if you follow the story all the way through and you understand and you've you know you're paying attention you understand those as I said before those subtle nuances before the before each match and understand them during each match I think it adds a completely different dimension to it. Yeah, I think a great way to sort of punctuate this is if we contrast this with say Gagano and Champa from NXT, where like their callbacks were more are more just repeating spots. Mm. Like for example, take the latest match in NXT, which people are telling me a match of the year, and I think they just don't understand wrestling. Um, <laughs> but fuck you, Marks. Um, but most of the spots in that match were just the same as other matches, and then like that's that's my main problem with WWE trilogies and like, prolonged storytelling of WWE as a whole, where like we just do the same thing over and over again. Like we've done DIY breaking up three separate times and twice we did it the same way. Where, One of the things whereas, for me go on, carry on, I thought you finished. Like whereas here, like everything like they did a lot of the same thing, but they again they fucked about the cadence. They fucked about with what that thing achieved and that help build the story because at the end of the day every wrestler has a limited moveset unless your name's Jack Evans um, so you can only really do so much within three matches but like at that point it's about what where you put the big moves to put forward the story you're telling and like they did that here and like in other trilogies especially in the Fed and especially in like um, a lot of places that try to be like the Fed that doesn't happen. Like for example, the trilogy versus Pack and Omega. I could not tell you anything about the three individual matches because the same things basically happened. There's two things that I want to talk about. 
that summarise this entire trilogy of matches. In all three matches, Io straps in the uh, cloverleaf and the uh, crossface. If you watch Mayu's face in the first match, she is panicking. She's scrabbling about, there's fear on her face, and you just think, oh, fuck, she's going to tap out. Fast forward to the third match, and Io, again, I keep I keep flitting between Io and Io. I apologise, the same person. It's uh, me, Dawuki. <laughs> Dawuki. Um, she straps in the same moves, but Mayu's face remains calm. It's like she's thinking, okay, I need to get out of this now. What do I do? It's what they tell, you know, if you panic, you'll make rash decisions. Whereas if you're calm, collected, you've thought about it, you'll make the right decision. And it seemed that Mayo had done that progressively throughout those three matches. And it was a wonderful, wonderful sort of improvement, sort of journey that she went on in these three matches. Yeah, no, you can definitely see the act. Like, she went into the first match not confident enough, and then she went into the second match, you can see her entrance far too confident. I mean, this match, again, was the longest of the trilogy. It went at uh, 27 minutes and 52 seconds. And I think that speaks volumes as well. In the first match, Io was able to put her away quite handily, despite Mayu wanting that no-time limit. Um, in the second match, it was short, brutal, and basically both women put everything into it in a very short space of time. It worked with the story. Here, Mayu stretched Io. She wanted to really push in. Once Again, once it went past about 23, 24 minutes, you could see Shirai beginning to panic. Shit, I can't put her away. It took two moonsaults to put her away in the previous match. How many am I going to have to do now? And my neck is fucked. No, and what you saw there was when she went for Moonsault, she'd stop stepping over Mayo. She's like, right now, there's no time to be a dick here. I need to put Mayo away. That was the one thing I loved. In the previous two matches, She, as you mentioned, she stood on Mayu to go and get to the Moonsault. And here, this was the only match. Because she didn't walk, she ran. Yeah, she's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. It's like, when, it's like at the end of Sonata and Okada. Yeah, I loved it. This trilogy was absolutely fantastic. Sorry. Yeah, this is definitely one of the best wrestling trilogies of last decade. I can only think of a couple really that beat it when you're just looking at them as pure trilogies. Because it's super weird, like, it may not be like, one of the best feeds, but in terms of like trilogies, I can think of only like one better, maybe two. And they both involve Kenny Omega. <laughs> it just goes to show as well, you've got, it's such a simple storyline. It, it's what it's, you know, it's a tale as old as time. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. A Beauty and the Beast reference. Um, I just think that it's such a simple storyline that's been told over and over again, but they made it work, and they made it work so well in the space of, what, six months? Just a, No, just over a year, isn't it? From May 2016 to June 2017. It worked yeah. so well. And honestly, I was so invested in these matches, and I was so invested in the story that, yeah, this might be one of my favourite trilogies, you know, along with Okada and Omega. Completely different, so please don't get at me and saying, you comparing this to Omega and Okada? No, it's just a completely different trilogy that I enjoyed in a completely different way, in a completely different underlying story. Yeah. Um, 
I also go jump to like Omega and Naito, but then again, the last one didn't really stick the landing. Um, it's hard to think of other trilogy. Naito Okada? No, because that's more than a trilogy. But again, I guess it depends what you count as a story. It's weird, like, because it, in Japanese wrestling, trilogies are real, uh, weirdly um, rare because they always go over that. <laughs> Was Masao like, Kabashi a trilogy? No, but you've had hundreds of matches. No, I mean no, I mean the was it a set trilogy where um Kabashi eventually took the GHC heavyweight championship off Masawa? Was that as part of a trilogy? Um, I don't think because Kabashi was originally meant I think he was originally meant to hold the GHC title and then he got injured. Because the initial programme was between him and Janakiyama and then Kabashi got injured, so the programme between came uh, became between Akiyama and Masawa, I think. Right. Okay, fair enough. Um, question then, Chris. So, uh, I've gone match ratings. The first one I gave nine, the yeah. second one ten, the third yeah. one nine. What yeah. would you do? Oh, I did nine across the board. <laughs> nine across the board. Which one is your favourite match of the three and why? That's like asking me to pick my favourite gaff. Um... <laughs> of the three gaffs you know? You don't know how many gaffs I know. Um, actually, no, you do because for the first, I did. I'd never heard the word um, the name Garth before. So the first like week of knowing Garth, I kept calling him Garish. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. And like, it depends what you want, really. If you want just like spectacle, the first one's going to do it for you. If you want um, some, if you want like an almost cerebral dismantling of a leg at a pace even Sonic the Hedgehog would blush at um, you you want the second one and then if you want your feel good baby face win you want the third one like really I could not tell you like it's one of, you know what it's like it's like Kill Bill you never watch Kill Bill on its own you always have to watch part one and then part two yeah absolutely I, I that's a great analogy I've never seen Kill Bill just my movie friends keep saying that every time we recommend Kill Bill <laughs> How have you never seen Kill Bill? Right. If we did a podcast about the movies I haven't seen, we'd be here all day. Absolutely. Absolutely mental. Um, on the list. Anyway, let's ask. So let's move on then from this um, trilogy. We did have a question from Dylan on Twitter, at DRB4L. And he asks, All Japan Pro Wrestling have talked about adding a women's division to the company. Which Joshi do you think would be a great start to kick off the division? So basically, Chris, who, if you're the booker of All Japan and you are starting that women's division, who are you having as your figurehead? Who are you building the division around? Um, very quickly, this wasn't from All Japan. This is from this is from Shwana. In an well, interview. It's, it's worth noting that wrestlers say shit like this all the time in interviews. True. True. Um, I think the fact that people high up in the company, you know, and again, I know Suwama is a worker, but he's also the champion. The fact that he's referencing this, I'm not saying there's anything to it. There probably isn't anything to it. But the fact that it's been spoken about, you know, it's an interesting talking point. Um, I'm actually... It's, it's, it'd be easy to jump to someone on start from stardom because 
that's what we know. But also, I don't think that would be a good idea because Sardom has a set roster and is un- and seems very unlikely to share, especially given their New Japan connections. Uh, maybe um, Ihora from Marvelous. That would be a good fit. Um, no, it's, super, it's a super weird weird question to ask. So, like, the two main Joshi promotions in um, TJPW and um, Stardom, they're, control, they're both owned by different companies already. Like, TJPW's DDT and then Stardom's New Japan. So, like, super... They're sort of showing my um, ignorance of wrestling as a whole. Um... I know, honestly, if we're going to have like an All Japan division, I think it'd be worth them just picking up a Joshi promotion and like having that as their starting base and just rebranding it. I agree with you on that point because I don't think there's enough free agents or freelancers who'd be able to do that. Yeah. Is Kagetsu retired or is she freelancing right now? Because so, that would be a great get. She was the first one that sort of sprang to mama. See, what I did was I just I threw all logic out of the window and just thought, if I've got every Japanese female wrestler, who am I going for? Now... Wait, I mean, time go ask her because everyone will follow that. <laughs> I wasn't going to say ask her, no. Um, and Kagetsu was someone I thought about, um, along with Hazuki, actually. But the one I would actually go for, and it's possibly a strange one, and I'll explain why in a minute. I'd actually go for Momo Watanabe. Now... She has proved she's an ace in the past. The reason that I would go for for Momo is because she's 20 years old. She's got Mm. an incredible amount of upside. Not only is she great in ring, she's great at psychology she tells great stories and she keeps people engaged now you look at the person who's done that for the men's division in all japan pro wrestling kento miyahara you build someone young in that sort of mold then you've got a bona fide star on your hand that's going to be at the head of that division for a long time and to me the person in stardom who is like that the most is momo watanabe and then you know again you put someone like a kagetsu say she's you know she's only retired from stardom for example you put her with someone like a kagetsu as a foil as that main foil for her you're not going to go far wrong yeah um i think if you get in a veteran role um make us that tomorrow would also be a great shout yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah. I think she'll do anything to keep Sendai Girls going, so that'll be a good show. And then from that, you do have a good few good international names you can bring in. Like Sendai Girls has connection with like Jordan Grace and um, Minnie McKenzie and Charlie Evans. So like, I don't know. Like again, I think if we're gonna go down that route, just straight up buying, say like Ice Ribbon or Sendai Girls would be a better way to do it. But like, if it's gonna be one figurehead, I'm saying Ihara just because. I mean, like, she's so imposing. <laughs> like, oh my god. And also, like, she can kick the shit out of you. Like, she doesn't fit, like, the young, like, Kenta Miyahara-esque mold, but she fits more like, I don't want to say a shawarma because she's not that old, but sort of like that big new, big man all Japan style, um, type mold, like your Ishikawa's, like your shawarma's, like your Zeus's. She sort of fit that mold, but, like, if it's an ace, 
yeah, I, I find it hard to go wrong with someone like Momo, but like just because I can't see it happening from Stardom, maybe try, maybe try and pluck Azuki or try and pluck someone else from Marvelous. I've no idea what the state of Marvelous is right now, but like everyone else's sort of life is from my own understanding. So, oh, like Siri, because um, in Stardom right now, because she's a freelancer technically. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I don't, and this is potentially unfair because from what I've seen of it in ring, she's great. Um, a bit loud, as we mentioned in the last podcast, but she's <laughs> she's great in ring, and I don't know if I've seen enough of her to be a figurehead. Um, I think if you put her, Kagetsu, Ihora, and Momo in a division as like the four you build around, your division's going to be sound. I, I do yeah. think if this was to become a serious thing, which, again, I'm not entirely sure how much it will be, <clears throat> if it was to become an actual thing, I think you go the route of buying a promotion because if you look at what the WWE, uh, WWE were having to do to even begin to think about their NXT Japan plans, it was going to have to be to buy an already existing promotion. They weren't yeah. going to be able to create their own promotion because that's not how Japan works. I think it's different if you're adding a division to your to your promotion, not starting a promotion from scratch. Yeah. Um actually if they're just adding women, I'd want I kind of want in the gender wrestling like we do in DVT. Um partly because it's something to set yourself apart and that's sort of what all Japan's missing right now. And secondly, their junior division is dog shit. <laughs> Yeah, they haven't got a handful of decent juniors. I think before yeah. they get, they talk about adding anything, Chris, they need to add things like name cards. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But, like, um, they also need to, like, build up a division I have, because that's always been my biggest thing. Like, for example, the question of should, say, New Japan add a women's division comes up a lot. And, like, there's always two diametrically opposed sides, and somehow they're both wrong. So, like, there's the side that argues for it because, like, WWE does it and they're the industry leader. And then there's the other side who argues for it because, um, argues against it because, oh, we don't mix. Both of which are wrong. Both of which are wrong way of looking at things. The way I say it is I really want women's division in these places if they can handle it. And you look at some, say, New Japan, they have half a million belts and can only book two of them (laughs) at any given time. Like, at any given time, at least two of those divisions have fallen down the wayside. Um, and then you have like all Japan who only has five belts what was it the triple crown um, junior two tags and TV TV so that's five I've in the TV title I see barely defended how many defenses has Yoshitachi even had of that um, it seems like somebody just throwing name people with western name recognition and then you have like um, the two tag belts are built well, to be fair. But then you have like um, yeah, yeah, junior mat um, division, which like when someone like Akira Francesca is a contender, you need to rethink your division because my god, do I not like Akira Francesco? He is so generic. Like, oh my god, it's like if Jim Cornette created a jobber. I I have no response to that. Because <laughs> I, I don't follow enough for me to know who that is. Um, as for Yoshitatsu, he's had one, two, three, four, five title defenses, and he's held the belt for three hundred and thirty-five days. Was it three hundred and yeah, three hundred and thirty-five days? However, I believe he has got a title defense against Kento Miyahara coming up. 
because <laughs> Kenta needs to do something now that Schwam is champion. Exactly. Um, what I just really want from Schwam being champion is him versus Ishikawa, to be honest. Just give me that for days. Because, oh my God, just stop hitting each other, lads, but also never stop. Anyway, I think that about uh, sort of seals off our podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a real pleasure looking back at this trilogy of matches and the storyline going into it. And they're up there now with three of my favourite matches and certainly one of my favourite matches of all time, which is not something I say lightly, trust me. But um, anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. Again, as I said at the top of the show, please check out the podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Subscribe, leave a rating, review, share the word would be great as well. Check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at at the Stardom Cast. Again, join the Podmania Facebook group. Again, just to talk about all things wrestling in a nice environment uh, you can talk to me on twitter at, at real rob goodwin chris where can they find you and boosie <laughs> and we'll talk to you guys again soon Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.